0: In May 2013, the pharmaceutical company GlaxoSmithKline began granting qualified investigators access to de-identified patient-level data from its clinical trials. In the program's first year, 58 research proposals were submitted, 36 were approved, and 13 of the approved research projects were in process. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Brian Strom, Chancellor of Rutgers Biomedical and Health Sciences, and a member of the Independent Review Panel That assesses the GSK data requests. Dr. Strom and three other panel members have written a perspective article about this experience with data sharing. Dr. Strom, can you give us a little history? Why and how did GSK decide to share its data?
1: I think GSK decided it was the right thing to do. They had been criticized in the past for keeping data secret. They realized from an ethical point of view, given the risks patients were taking to be part of clinical trials rather than keeping data secret it was more appropriate that the data be maximally utilized. And the member of the Neeson, who actually wrote a perspective a year ago describing the system came to me to start brainstorming about how it might be structured. And we sort of worked together to design a system, again, their system, not my system. And ultimately, due to oversight Subject to oversight by an independent advisory committee that I had the privilege of chairing. We the goal is really to make it available. And The default in all our activities as a committee is to say yes. And over time, GSK has increased the number of studies they've put into the system. Other companies have come in as well, which we're delighted to see because that'll make it markedly more useful to the researchers to be able to aggregate data across the studies of multiple different companies.
0: How was the independent review panel chosen, and what sorts of expertise do the four of you bring to this?
1: Each of us has different expertise, so I'm a clinician and epidemiologist. One of the members is a public representative, one of the members is a biostatistician, and one is an expert in bioethics. And the goal, as I mentioned, was really the default should be to say yes. This is not a panel constructed to be an NIH review committee, for example, and be extremely rigorous about the details of the scientific methods. Unlike an NIH situation, our feeling is resources here are not limited. We're not giving out money. The more people who get to use the data, the better. We just want to make sure the data aren't misused. And so the charge of the panel is to look to make sure there's scientifically legitimate uses to make sure... to follow it, to make sure there's good communication with the lay public in terms of the general description of it. And in general, again, our default is yes. The other key issue is to make sure there's adequate expertise to do the analyses that they're proposing so that the research team has adequate expertise. Those projects that we bounced back have been for those reasons. Almost all of them have been or when resubmitted have been approved, there have been actually very, very few that we've actually said no to. Some of them are still in the process of being resubmitted, extremely few that we have actually said no to, but rather.
0: You describe in your article some of the categories of research that have been proposed, studies of risk factors and biomarkers, methodologic studies, studies comparing treatment regimens. Do you have a sense of which directions for reanalysis of data are going to be the most promising or going to generate the most interest, the most value?
1: I think it's going to change over time. I think early on, given these were data that GSK had already analyzed in great detail themselves, early on the major use Of it, I think, was primarily methodologic studies and studies by trainees because the most expensive part of a study is the data collection, and here the data collection was already incurred. And this gets back to my comment before, needing to make sure the trainee had adequate supervision and adequate biostatistical assistance to be able to do it right. I think now that more companies have joined in, now there's a total of 10 companies, and hopefully even more will join in over time, researchers can begin to use this to be able to actually compare different drugs compare the effects of the different drugs, and look as well at studies of who responds to different drugs. Right now, before a drug is approved, as obviously the audience is going to know, a drug is typically compared to placebo, with very few exceptions, like cancer drugs or serious infections. It tells you that the drug works. It doesn't tell you in whom it works, and it doesn't tell you whether it works better than other drugs available for the market. That kind of information can be obtained once you aggregate data, of course, from multiple different companies and multiple different drugs.
0: As you describe it in the article, the process has gone quite smoothly. Have there been any hitches or limitations, any downsides that you've come up against?
1: Clearly, logistically, there certainly have been some hitches, some glitches early on. This is a very complicated website in order to be able to design correctly. We also wanted to design a process among the group of us as reviewers that was efficient as these, we didn't want to have to have a phone call meeting every time an application came in. And so there was a lot of work put into doing it up front in a way that would make it relatively efficient. The other glitches, I think, part of the most recurrent problem is the difficulty people have in coming up with a lay summary of the study. The most rejections have been for that, that having a sophisticated scientist write things in a way... We want complete transparency here, and everything is up on the web, a way that the public can understand what studies will be. I think other glitches... DSK was in a fortunate situation where they had, by design, kept all of their trial data after a certain date. I don't remember offhand what the date is. It's in the paper. I think it was 1998 or 1988. They kept the data organized in a fixed format, and they asked consent of their patients, their study subjects, to be able to release the data. And so they had a group of studies that they could release that way immediately, and then as people made... Requests, they would go back and see if they could request for other kinds of data that weren't directly on the web. They made requests to see if they could add other studies to the website, and many other data sets have been added. Other companies, the numbers of for logistic reasons, the numbers of studies are much smaller because they don't have that standardization. The other is the, the data on the programming on the website. Analytic programming is more limited. So at SAS, for example, SAS is the analytic program that's available. They've had a couple of requests from trainees who don't know how to use SAS and asked for an actual copy of the data set out of the website in order to be able to analyze the data using a different approach. So that's been a wrinkle for confidentiality reasons. The company originally didn't want to do that. They are agreeing to do that on an ad hoc basis with sufficient privacy guarantees. Some of the other participating companies have not been comfortable doing that. So there is a lot of a and a lot of effort paid to the question of privacy, maintaining confidentiality of patients. There's a data use agreement. People promise not to try to identify individual patients. Ultimately, no privacy approach is perfect, and that's if people wanted to break a code, they undoubtedly could because they're getting the actual word, access to the actual raw data on an individualized basis. And Part of the data use agreement is people promising that they won't do that, and to our knowledge, that has not been breached.
0: As this grows, as you say, new companies have been joining, are you and the other panel members going to continue to be the vetters, and is GSK going to continue to support this effort?
1: Fortunately, from a workload point of view, we've got it down to an efficient enough process that it actually doesn't take that much time per protocol. So, again, we're not reviewing it like an NIH review. So we've been able to handle the additional company studies without any problem from a workload point of view. There is in a plan, however, inconsistent with the goal for this to be a completely transparent and neutral system to turn the entire system over to a different third party so not GSK who has developed it and funded it until now but to turn it over to a separate nonprofit organization to run they will appoint their own advisory committee and there may or may not be overlap with the current panel and the new panel but certainly it won't be hundred percent the same people
0: and finally more broadly Where do you think the data sharing movement is going to be in five years, ten years from now?
1: I really laud GSK for doing this. They're really first movers and very much appreciate the fact that other companies are joining as well. I think this is really the way science has to go and really makes much better use and more use of the data. It's the ethical thing to do. It's the scientifically responsible thing to do. What I would love to see going forward is academic centers doing the same thing. Right now, so far, all the data that's put up there has been from industry why academic centers shouldn't be adding their data to this kind of data center as well. And so I certainly think over the next five or 10 years, we're going to see data sharing continue to expand. I would love to see it go beyond industry and with academics using the industry data, but I'd love to see academic centers contributing data as well.
0: Thank you, Dr. Strom.